43 years ago, I went to the big city of Chicago to begin preparing for the ministry at Moody Bible Institute. I was 18 years of age, and I had no idea what I was going to experience in that big city. I lived about eight blocks from Chicago's famous Loop. Right across the street from our school was a house of ill repute. And so here was Moody Bible Institute on one side of LaSalle Street, and here was prostitution on the other side. I took a job pumping gas at a Union 76 gas station. There was a gay bar right across the intersection. One night a man came into our station. He was about the same age as I was, and he had the most beautiful strawberry blonde hair I had ever seen. When he asked if he could use the restroom, and I said yes, he went into the ladies' restroom. It was the first transgendered person I had ever encountered. There was a man by the name of Jimmy who came by our station in a Cadillac quite frequently. He had his teenage son and a friend of his son with him. And he regularly got phone calls on the payphone inside of the station. When Jimmy was not around and the phone would ring, we would answer it. And a female voice would say to us, is Jimmy there? And he did this with the full knowledge of his son and his son's friend. They knew exactly what dad was doing. At the Lawson YMCA down the street from our school where we swam and exercised, used the gym, the locker room, the shower room, it was well known that homosexuals rented rooms at the Lawson Y. One night, I was at a favorite student's uh, burger joint, and I said hello to the man next to me. He lived at the Y. He said to me, I'm up in my room, uh, smoking and drinking all by myself. He said, would you like to join me? Of course, I knew what that was an invitation to. It was the first time I had ever been propositioned. When I moved to Dallas, Texas, it happened two more times. As a young teenager, I wondered, how do people get this way? How does a city become so shockingly sinful? How does sinful corruption take over a culture? Well, I would like you to take your Bibles this morning and turn again to Romans chapter 1 as we continue our studies in the book of Romans. And I want you to notice how the Word of God gives us a very clear answer to my question so many, many years ago. Romans chapter 1, the fifth book in your New Testament. If you want to take the pew Bible in front of you or the chair Bible, please do that. And let me read for you verses 21 to 24. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. 
Therefore, this is God's response. This is God's reaction. God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Now, we are learning here a principle that is the reason why sinful corruption takes over a culture how a city becomes so shockingly sinful and how people become the way they are. This principle is the law of the universe that God has worked into His entire universe, and it is this. When people reject God in favor of sin, God hands them over to their sin. And it is an inexorable principle that is always true when we choose sin in favor of, in, in rejection of God, God then always will hand us over to the consequences of our own sin. I want you to notice something as we look at this phrase, God gave them up. You will notice it occurs three times in the rest of the chapter. Verse 26, for this reason God gave them up. Verse 28, and since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up. That was a very interesting word in the first century when this was written. It was a technical word that was used by police in the court system. It meant to hand somebody over into the custody of others to be punished. But there is a difference here. God hands people over into the custody of their own sins so that they sink further and further into sin. Now, we need to understand this is not what God wants to do. It is not His desire. But God does this because people insist. This is the very same thing that God did with Israel in the Old Testament. I want you to notice what God said about His people in Psalm 81, 11 and 12. He said, but my people would not heed my voice, and Israel would have none of me. I gave them over to their own stubborn heart to walk in their own counsels. Do you know this is the worst thing in this life that can happen to anyone? Let me say that again. In this life, this is the worst thing that can happen to anyone. For God to say to us, have your way, go ahead, do what you want to do, is the worst thing that can happen to any of us. Now I want you to notice here that this is not God's outpouring of His displeasure. But what it is, is the removal of His restraint upon people. It is God letting go. It is God taking His hands off and letting people sin. I want to hasten to add this. This is also an act of mercy on God's part. Please do not miss that. Some people, the only way they will be reached is to let them hit rock what? Rock bottom. And for God to do that is ultimately an act of mercy. 
I have a dear friend in the ministry. His adult daughter became an alcoholic. It was very painful for this man of God. One day he said to me, I cannot give my daughter ten cents or she will go out and drink with it. And it breaks his heart as it breaks my heart. But this is what he knows. He knows the only way she will ever seek help is if she hits rock bottom. And he knows I cannot enable her. But I must let this happen. And that's what God is saying. God is saying He will not enable us. He will let us hit rock bottom. Because once we hit rock bottom, the only way to look is what? Is up. Now I want you to notice as we look at this passage that there are some clear consequences that follow when God says, okay, I'm going to let you follow your stubborn heart and I'm going to let you follow your own devices. There are consequences that will follow and we will not be able to escape those consequences. Let's look at them, all right? Number one is the consequence of sexual sin. Sexual sin. Look again at verse 24. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. Now, I want you to notice that God says that this process is because people believe a lie. It's interesting, if you could look closely at the original language, you would discover the definite article. It is actually the lie. People believe the lie. And so we have to ask ourselves, what is the lie that the Apostle Paul is talking about And very clearly, he is referring to the lie that occurred in the Garden of Eden at Genesis 3, 4, and 5. Let's read this lie together that is the origin of the first sin and is the origin of every sin. Let's read together what Satan said as he used the serpent. Read with me. You will certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. This is the origin of the first sin. It is the origin of all sin. Satan's lie basically was, you don't need God. You can be your own God. And when he said, you will know good from evil, what he meant was, you will know this without God. You'll be able to decide good and evil yourself. You will not need God to tell you what is right and wrong. And Whenever we give up God, we give up His truth for our own truth. We begin then to choose our own standards And the first place this often shows up is moral standards. God gives us over to our own sexual sins. 
The word impurity here that is found in verse 24 was a word that actually meant filth or dirt. And it was used of sexual sins. In the Bible it is often connected with the Greek word porneia from which we get our word pornography. And lusts here in verse 24 are deep-seated desires for forbidden pleasures. Many years ago, the famous actress Woody Allen was asked to explain his immoral relationship with the adopted daughter of his girlfriend. Woody Allen was like a father to this young girl, and now he had taken up an immoral relationship with someone who had viewed him as a father figure. And when he asked how he could rationalize or excuse that, this is what he said. He said, the heart wants what it wants. The heart wants what it wants. And that's exactly what this is describing. Now, if I were to ask you today, are we drowning in a sea of sexual sin in America? What would you say? You would say, yes, we are. I read some time ago that the greatest number of websites on the internet are pornographic websites. There are more people addicted to pornography today because of the filth that is on the internet than ever before. Cohabitation is at an all-time high in our culture. Many of us today are old enough to remember when cohabitation was rare. When I was a boy and my paper route, I only knew of one woman who was cohabiting in our neighborhood. Today, it is almost assumed that you will cohabit before you get married. A number of years ago, I happened to mention this in a sermon here at uh, Bethel. And sometime later, I got an email from an NMU student. And she said in the email, I've never heard this before. She said, could you tell me where the Bible actually says that? first time she'd ever heard that cohabitation was a sin was that Sunday that she came to church. Now I want you to notice that the Apostle Paul says that this dishonors our bodies. Did you notice that? In verse 24 he says, the result of sexual sin is the dishonoring of our bodies among themselves. And this word dishonor means to abuse, to debase, or to degrade. Surely, surely, it includes the destruction of sexually transmitted diseases. When we began this century, the 21st century, here's what was true about venereal diseases in America. One in five people have a sexually transmitted disease. Two-thirds of those are 25 years of age and younger. One out of every four new cases of venereal disease is a teenager. And one in four Americans at some point in their life will have a sexually transmitted disease. I want you to think about that. Every four Americans you meet, one out of four of them will at some point have a sexually transmitted disease. Do you know in West Africa, one out of every three people already has a sexually transmitted disease. 
In America, 15% of infertility in women is caused by an untreated, sexually transmitted disease. When I was a boy, I only knew of two venereal diseases. Both were curable. Today, there are many, and several are incurable. You get them, and you have them the rest of your life. And what God says is absolutely true. This is the consequences of us going our own stubborn way and turning to our own devices. I want you to notice the next consequence that takes place because of this principle. The next consequence is homosexual sin. Look with me at verse 26. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchange natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty of their error. These verses that we have just looked at are the clearest teaching in all of the New Testament on homosexuality. And this morning there is probably not one person here who has not been affected in one way or another by this. My best friend when I was growing up in high school, I spent so many hours at his home, eventually as an adult died of AIDS. And I had the opportunity to have a part in his funeral. I'll never forget when the service was over, I went to his sister to give her a hug. She was like a kid sister to me. And she said to me, I'm not ready for a hug. And many of us here today understand the pain that she felt. Vody Balcom said uh, some time ago, he's a pastor, that when it comes to this subject, the responsibility of the pastor is just to say what the Bible says. And this is a sensitive and painful subject. But what I want to do today is to simply try to say, what does the Bible actually teach us? All right? Let's look at it for a few moments. Number one, homosexual behavior is against God's design. When the Lord says in verse 26 and 27, women giving up natural relations and men giving up natural relations, the word for women and men are actually female and male with a strong emphasis on the sex of each gender. Now what the Apostle Paul then is clearly doing here is he is drawing on another passage in Genesis, Genesis 1.27. This is what he's reflecting on. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. Now that one singular verse tells us God's design on gender, on marriage, and on sex. 
it is very, very clear there are only two genders, male and female. It's well known scientifically that we all have 46 chromosomes. A male has 23 Y chromosomes, 23 X chromosomes. A woman has 46 X chromosomes, and those are permanent. They are unalterable. You might change your appearance, you might change your body, but you cannot change your chromosomes. God has made it absolutely impossible to change His design of male and female. This tells us then that a marriage is the union of one male and one female for life. And sex is right, it is good, it is moral, within the confines of the marriage relationship alone. Here's the next thing the Bible teaches us about this. Homosexual behavior is a sinful choice. There are four descriptions in verses 26 and 27 of this behavior. It's called dishonorable, contrary to nature, shameless, and an error. And when the Bible talks about women exchanging natural relations, the word exchange means to deliberately trade heterosexual relationships for homosexual ones. And when verse 27 talks about men giving up natural relations, the word give up means to abandon something, to turn your back on it, to move to something else. And both of those words, exchanged and gave up, imply and clearly mean a choice. Now I want to be very, very careful here this morning. Homosexual desires do not usually develop in a person's life through some fault of their own. They develop most of the time through no fault of the person. In fact, there are many, many causes of why people have same-sex desires. But one thing we can say is they're not a result of genetics. Many years ago, uh, Tim LaHaye wrote a book on homosexuality. He had a ministry to many homosexuals. And this is what he said. He said, no credible scientist has ever found empirical evidence to prove that it is genetic or hormonal or anything of that nature. And I would just say this morning, just like all sinful urges, it is the result of a corrupted heart because of indwelling sin. It comes from the same place that all sinful urges come from, a sinful heart that has been corrupted by the fall of Adam. This past year at the pastor's conference in Chicago, there was a very interesting seminar that I wanted to be sure to attend. It was entitled, Ministry in the Age of Sexual and Gender Expression. And I went to that seminar, and here on the panel were two young people who were formerly transgendered. One was Daniel, the other was Amanda. 
I estimated they were in their 30s. Daniel was a very nice-looking young man. Amanda was a very attractive young woman. They both had found release and deliverance from their transgenderedness through the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's what Daniel said. Counselors told me, be who you are. You feel a certain way, therefore you should be that way. Daniel said, the problem with that advice is I didn't feel any better. And my life kept getting worse. Eventually, he said painfully, I had to admit this. I will always be a man. He said, I am now at peace with that. He said, I am not a homosexual. I knew. He said, I got to the place where I began to realize you can actually love being a man. Amanda said that when dealing with the LGBT community, we have to see someone's true self and call and affirm that identity forth. Both Emmanuel and Daniel said, Christ can transform every area of a person's life, including the sexual area. But Amanda said, there must be a turning from lies and deceit. You see, it is part of the lie that God made us that way, and we have no choice about it. The Bible says... That is not true. Notice the next thing that the Bible teaches. Homosexual sins carry their own penalty. Paul says in verse 27 that they receive in themselves the due penalty for their error. Due penalty means the consequences that are inbred in sin. Sin has its own consequences that are bred in. If I were to walk outside today and punch a tree with my fist, my fist was never intended to punch trees. It was actually never intended to punch anything. And if I do that, I will pay the consequences. And what the Bible is saying is engage in sexual sin and there are consequences that will come with it. Those consequences are built right in. You can go to the Center for Disease Control, which produces their reports out of Atlanta, Georgia. And this is what you will learn. Homosexual men have the highest cases of venereal disease and hepatitis. And in America today, homosexual men are the greatest carriers of AIDS. Daniel on that panel last year said, LGBTQ is a culture of death. He said it is anything but good. He said there are many unhealthy factors that lead to early deaths among the LGBTQ. And that is exactly what the Bible teaches. Notice the next thing. Homosexual sins are not worse than other sins. And how we need to hear this so 
clearly today. I want you to read a catalog of sins that are given to us in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 and 10. Let's, let's read them together and I want you to notice something that is so important for us. Join me. Don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit God's kingdom? Do not be deceived. No sexually immoral people, idolaters, adulterers, or anyone practicing homosexuality, no thieves, greedy people, drunkards, verbally abusive people, or swindlers will inherit God's kingdom. Anyone here ever been greedy? Anyone here ever verbally abused someone else? Any of us guilty of putting something ahead of God, which is idolatry? Notice all those sins are equally condemned along with practicing homosexuality. You could very well be here today and say to me, Pastor, I have same-sex desires, but I did not choose those desires, and I feel worse than other people. And I want you to know you are not worse than anyone else. I may not have same-sex attraction, but I have other sinful desires that are just as wrong. Are we not all tempted by sinful desires every day of our lives? Are we not? Yes, we are. That's the problem. We are sinners. And you are no worse than I am if you struggle with same-sex desires. And just as my sinful desires are wrong if I act upon them, so your sinful desires are too. In fact, I want you to know that this is how Paul ends this accusation of rejecting God. Notice he says, when we go our own stubborn way and turn to our own devices, the consequence is twisted relationships of all kinds. Look with me at verse 28, and let me read to the end of the chapter. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. That means a twisted mind. That means a distorted mind. And now notice what this leads to. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, and ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. What we have just read is known in the New Testament as a vice list. Vice list. And there are two things that are very clear as you look at this vice list. Number one, Mostly, it focuses on relationships. Go back and look at all of those vices that are listed, and it has to do, for the most part, with what we do to each other. 
Second thing about the vice list, there are no clear, no clear categories of the sins listed. They are just all jumbled together in a chaotic mess. And what this is teaching us is when we suppress the knowledge of God, it leads to catastrophe in human relationships. Let me ask again, how many of us could raise our hands and say, I've never committed any of these sins? Do you know Paul said one of his great sins was the sin of covetousness and he needed to be delivered from it by Christ. We might be here today and say, well, I've not committed adultery, but have we disobeyed our parents? We might say, I'm not guilty of homosexual sin, but have we gossiped? We might say, I've never cohabited. But have we been faithless, failed to keep a promise that we made? I think all of us recognize that this indictment, which so often destroys our relationships, is true of us all. Daniel, who I mentioned earlier, the former transgendered young man, He said he was a transgendered homosexual of the flamboyant kind in his appearance. There was a lady who lived across from him, and she felt an urging from the Lord to invite Daniel to church, but she said at first she just resisted it. But eventually she overcame that resistance, and she invited Daniel to come to church. Can you believe Daniel came? Daniel came. In all his flamboyance, as a homosexual, he came. A deacon approached Daniel and said to him, The Father loves you. He cares for you. And Daniel said, I needed the Father's love. But Daniel also said this, The Lord offends our minds to get to our heart. Does this sermon offend you today? The Lord offends your mind that He might get to your heart. Amanda, that formerly transgendered woman who was on the panel that day, she said, love, love, love. That's what the LGBT community needs. But, she said, Love also speaks the truth. She said this is what she needed to hear from others. Amanda matters. I'm going to speak the truth into Amanda's life. And Daniel said, we must accept God into every area of our life. He said eventually he got to the place where he said, I'm going to follow Christ. He said, Christ can transform every area of life. He said, going deep in God is the answer. And that is true for all of us. 
Look at this today. Is there anyone who can say, that doesn't describe me? Is there anyone who can say, I followed my stubborn heart, I followed my own devices, and this has been the result in my life? Listen, only Christ can transform every area of our life. We have to allow Him into our area of need. We have to go deep in God. We have to say, I'm going to receive Him. And then I'm going to follow Him. And He will make all the difference. Let's bow together, shall we? And let's pray. This morning, I do not know what sins you struggle with. But I know you struggle with sins. I know you are in bondage. And I know you cannot free yourself. And I know you have brought damage to your own life, damage to the lives of others. And you need Christ. Just as I need Christ. And you have to let Him into every area of your life. You have to believe that He who said, if the Son shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. That He can do that. And you have to trust Him as Lord and Savior. And then go deep into God. And He will help you to live a life that is righteous, that is holy, that is pure, that is honoring to God. A life that beats back the sinful corruptions that we all know so well. Listen, if you're not sure where you stand with Christ today, I invite you to come to Him. You may pray something like this, Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I'm lost. I have sinful desires that I cannot rid my life of. But I believe that You are the Son of God who came into this world and became the God-man. And You did that out of love and mercy for me. I believe you went to the cross where you made a sufficient payment for my sins. And you rose again that I might have new life. You may say, Lord Jesus, I'm repenting. The world tells me I'm okay. I know I'm not okay. I'm repenting of my own way. I'm turning from living life my stubborn way according to my own devices and I'm turning, Lord Jesus, to You. By an act of faith, come into my heart and be my Savior. Come into my life. Be my Lord. Forgive me of all my sins. Give me life eternal. Make me a child of God. And then you may say, Lord Jesus, from this day forward, I will go deep into You. 
I will follow you with all my heart. And when I fail, thank you that you've already forgiven me. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for saving me, you may say. Father, I pray today that you would do two things. I pray that you would convict us. I pray that you would help us to see your condemnation of sin. But I pray you would give us the same hope that Daniel and Amanda had. That Christ is the answer. That He offers grace and mercy and love. The Father loves you. He cares for you. We all need the Father's love. And it's found in His Son. We love Him. Because He first loved us. Thank You so very much. For Jesus' sake. Amen.